0: This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graeber. Autism spectrum disorder is a disorder that has been defined by the medical community, but the genetic mutations that lead to the disorder or the diseases that seem to be linked to it have so far been found to be quite varied. In fact, experts suggest that autism maps onto a number of different diseases, and that means there may be many different treatments as well, some of which will likely only help a subset of people with ASD. So far, none of the medications available for ASD treat the core symptoms of the disease, but rather secondary symptoms such as agitation or hyperactivity. But because ASD is genetically linked to Fragile X syndrome, researchers noticed that in a mouse model, the drug arbaclofen reduced what would be core symptoms of autism, such as combating social avoidance and improving social function. So a team of scientists conducted a randomized placebo-controlled trial of 150 participants aged 5 to 21 over three months— and they published the results in a recent issue of the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. Jeremy Veenstra-Vanderweal, associate professor at Columbia University, was one of the authors. doctor Wienstra Veenstra-Vanderweal, the study did not show an improvement in lethargy and social withdrawal over the placebo, correct?
1: Yep, and that's important. In this sort of study, in any controlled trial, you want your primary outcome measure to give you an answer for whether your potential medicine is effective or not. And in this study, which, you know, is a phase two exploratory trial, that called shot, you know, <laughs> eight ball corner pocket um, was negative. And it was really negative, meaning there there was no difference between the groups. Then there were a number of secondary outcome measures. And in a phase two study, it's appropriate to be exploratory. You're looking to see what you would follow up in a phase three study. One of those, which is this clinical global impression of severity, showed a difference that without correction is significant and after correction is at a trend level. A number of other secondary outcome measures did not show a difference. And so because of a phase two study, we wanted to understand whether that was pointing to anything in particular. And so we Explored that some with um, some additional analyses. But I think it's important to note that we really can't draw a lot of conclusions based on that secondary outcome measure without a follow up study.
0: So you found a suggestion that the severity of autism might be reduced with this drug. This is a secondary outcome, not what you were originally looking for. But there are two issues. One is that this secondary outcome, that the severity of the disorder was improved, this is something that was verified by an examiner, not by parental reporting. Another is that this drug came from a company that has since gone out of business, which might hinder further study. But in general, what is it about this drug that makes you think that it does need further study as opposed to just discarding it and saying this doesn't work to treat these behavioral outcomes of autism? You know,
1: this is what phase two studies do. They're looking for the right outcome measures. They're trying to understand how to do the definitive study. And I think that this study did give such information It isn't leading immediately to a phase three study because the company uh, went out of business. It was an unusual company. It was funded by venture philanthropy in part and then funded in part by regular investors. Um, But in reality, this sort of study is exactly what we should expect when we look at the overall group of kids with autism spectrum disorder, recognizing the tremendous heterogeneity, meaning that there are going to be lots of different ways to get to autism spectrum disorder. We should expect that some kids would improve on one medicine, other kids may improve on another. Now, from this study, I can't say that Arbaclofen is an example of that, But I would say that this is an example of the sort of thing we'd expect to find in autism, that maybe a subgroup would improve, that we'd have to work hard to figure out who that subgroup is, and that then obviously we'd have to do a definitive study in a narrower group of individuals to identify that a medicine really does work.
0: So how would you figure out what that subset is?
1: That's a great question. The ideal thing would be to have a biomarker, right? Would would be, say, to have an electrophysiology measure that might give you some sense of this excitatory to inhibitory imbalance that you then could maybe even show changes in response to a particular medicine. That would be the ideal. That's a big ask. Based on the results of this study, you you can't point to something like that. We didn't have EEG measures or uh, MEG measures to look at. In this particular study, if you look at the supplementary figures, you can see that it did seem to be that younger participants showed more improvement. That participants who had maybe milder ASD symptoms, so who had diagnoses of pervasive developmental disorder um, instead of having diagnoses diagnoses of autism according to DSM four criteria, and individuals who had higher IQs seemed to show more response. That could. Say something about the outcome measures that we used, or it could say something about the characteristics of individuals who improved. In order to know that, you'd have to do a follow-up study.
0: Is the heterogeneity of ASD the biggest challenge in developing a drug to treat the symptoms of autism?
1: You know, I think if you're thinking about uh, treatment development that is based on neurobiology in autism meaning treatment development that's based on an understanding of what's actually happening in the brain, I think that heterogeneity is a profound challenge. Uh, There are two ways to look at that. One is that it may also be an opportunity, meaning if you have an example, say, like Fragile X syndrome, where you know the genetic risk factor that you're looking at and you're going to study a drug just in Fragile X syndrome, well, that's a way to deal with that heterogeneity. But If instead you're looking at the overall group of people with autism, yeah, the extreme variability between individuals and the likelihood that there are many, many different potential causes is going to be a challenge to having drugs that are based on the pathophysiology of autism. There is another potential path, which is to understand the neurobiology, say, of social function. And if you understand that, maybe it doesn't matter if you're potential drug targets the cause of autism spectrum disorder in a subgroup of individuals, it may be that you can make anyone, say, more interested in social interactions. And that could be another path forward. But I would say these paths remain uncertain because at this point, we've never seen an example of a medicine that works for the core symptoms of autism. So we don't really know what the perfect path forward is going to be. I think we're still in that exploratory phase.
0: Does this research give you any kind of pointers for looking ahead or something to be learned from this particular study? I think there are a number of lessons.
1: One is the uh, sort of time course that we should be thinking about when studying something that, you know, is based on a reasonable idea uh, in autism spectrum disorder. And that time course, you know, in some ways it it just corresponds to the, the usual phase one, two, three of drug development. That in phase two, we may be looking not just for outcome measures that work, we may be looking for subgroups that seem to respond um, and ways to define those subgroups. So, I think that's an important lesson that probably we're not going to find medicines that benefit every kid with autism spectrum disorder. And if we're thinking about things that way, we're probably going to fail. You know, I think another lesson is about the outcome measures that may be useful and may not be useful, that in this case, a pure parent questionnaire-based outcome measure, the emerent behavior checklist, this social withdrawal lethargy subscale, really didn't serve to differentiate the groups at all. Now, that could be because the drug didn't do anything, but another possibility is that these sorts of outcome measures are very susceptible to placebo effects or nonspecific response during treatment and may not be what we're looking for, that things more like the Vineland Adaptive Behavior Scales, where you're using an examiner to ask questions of the parent, um, that this sort of anchored outcome measure where you have specific examples where you're looking for whether a child can do something in particular, that that sort of outcome measure may be closer to what we need. I also think that this sort of study tells us that when we're exploring a potential response to medicine, that it helps to truly explore. You know, I think for me, it's important to to not interpret this study as saying that arbaclofen works. To me, the important message is that arbaclofen probably is worth further study, but then separate from that, that we need to be really thoughtful about the heterogeneity in autism. We need to be thoughtful about outcome measures that are more anchored and less sensitive to placebo effects, and that we need to be careful to, you know, when we're in phase two, really explore our data and use the data to inform future studies as opposed to expecting that we're going to get a home run on our first at-bat.
0: This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. To read the paper, Arboclofen in Children and Adolescents with Autism Spectrum Disorder, a randomized controlled phase two trial, go to www.nature.com NPP. I'm Cynthia Graber.